0: How many times have you been in a negotiation at work or in your personal life where you're pretty far apart and the compromise is to split the difference? Plenty, right? Well, today's guest is a negotiation expert who says never split the difference. He's Chris Voss, and in a minute, you'll get some insight into how. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini-MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, brought to you by Business M.O. LLC. Chris Voss is a former FBI hostage negotiator who, at the time he was with the Bureau, was also the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator. So, of course, he doesn't split the difference. What's he going to say? You keep the short one, I get the tall, skinny one? No, of course not. But how does he do it? That's the question. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Chris. Since leaving the FBI in 2007, he formed and is the CEO of the Black Swan Group, a business negotiation coaching advisory firm where he helps Fortune 500 companies through complex negotiations using his hostage negotiation skills. Chris also teaches in the MBA programs at the University of Southern California and Georgetown University, where his is one of the most sought-after and interesting courses. He's even won Teaching Excellence Award. It must be good because his students and clients have used these techniques successfully in everything from a negotiation between a husband and wife over a Christmas tree, and you know that's not easy, to a billion-dollar Wall Street transaction. And here's the really good news. Now you, too, can learn some of his amazing techniques because, first, we're going to talk about them here on the show today, but also because Chris has a new book. It's called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. I love that title. Only a former hostage negotiator could get away with that. So I am so jazzed to have him here on the show. What a pleasure. I can't wait to dive in. Welcome to Business Confidential now, Chris.
1: Thank you very much, Hannah. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on.
0: The pleasure is all mine. You know, As a lawyer and as a student of negotiation, I am fascinated by the topic. And when you're talking to students or clients, which of their, of your principles or pieces of advice are most surprising to them?
1: Well, you know, the biggest one is uh, when I tell them that yes is the last thing that you want to hear. And they kind of go, wait a minute, what? What did you just say? If they're listening. And, uh, but uh, I give them a chance to let it sink in. and that, Yeah, you know, trying to get people to say yes all the time is just really, really counterproductive. And if we pay attention to how much it comes up, I mean, rarely do we ask a question, well, we're not trying to get somebody to say yes. So it really sort of shocks people that that's the idea that you you want to get out of the habit of getting people to say yes all the time. Then they're really kind of shocked at how often they are actually doing it because we don't know how often we're trying to do
0: it. Well, shoot, there's a whole book getting to yes devoted to it. So can you blame them for wanting to get to Yes.
1: No, exactly, you know, it's exactly right. I mean, it's kind of a there's, a, there's a funny dynamic about it, because yeah, the most, prior to now, of course, the most famous negotiating book in the world was, was getting to yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's also been said that, that yes is the most beautiful word in the English language. We love to hear it so much, we sort of become ignorant or, um, not really ignorant, but, uh, We're oblivious to the fact of how often people are trying to get us to say yes, and as soon as it happens to us, we get very defensive and start putting our guard up. I mean, one of the examples I use all the time is, what goes through your mind when you pick up the phone and the voice on the other end of the line says, do you have a few minutes to talk? Everybody always gets a little, they feel themselves tighten up, and, you know, because your reaction is, well, what if I don't want to talk? to what you to you, or what if I don't want to talk about what you want to talk about or what if I do want to talk to you and I don't want to talk about what you want to talk about. I mean just saying yes to that makes us instantly worry about how much we're letting ourselves in for so we're very defensive about it.
0: Well definitely because some people are just reading off a script and they'll have you tied up for you know half hour and everybody's time is very very precious. So tell me what is the exactly. single most important thing that a great negotiator does? What is it?
1: Well, you know, it's learning to listen between the lines and understanding that, uh, you know, emotion drives action. You know, we don't really live in a rational world, and we'd love it if if we did. But, uh, you know, people make decisions based on what they care about. Uh, All decisions. I mean, in our business, in our personal lives, you know, whether we're going to go with one deal, whether or not we're going to ease up on somebody else, you know, what are the emotional factors. And so uh, a great negotiator, recognizes that emotion is what drives people and then starts to look for it and how it's implied and what really people really care about because they're going to act in deals, they're going to implement based on what they care about, how they care about you. And uh, a great negotiator listens for that and then finds ways to capitalize on
0: Well, could you give me some examples? I mean, how is somebody supposed to do that, especially when we live in such a nanosecond world these days where everybody wants something instantaneously, you know, quick, quick, fast, fast, so I can put it on Facebook and Instagram and all that other happy stuff. I mean, what what are some ways to be more mindful in listening?
1: Well, um, you know, asking yourself what's driving someone as as opposed to trying to understand what they're saying, uh, you know, what's really driving them one of the students in my class at USC was having a conversation just the other day about uh, they were trying to uh, secure a venue for a celebration for uh, people at the university that we're going to celebrate the end of the semester. And the salesperson is pitching really hard about how nice the venue is to them. And, you know, what what a salesperson is doing, you know, the harder they're pitching, the more they want the deal. And the harder they're pitching... It means that there's really a lot of flexibility in the deal, but they're waiting to see how you react to them and whether or not they like you because there's always two issues in any price negotiation. Is there flexibility in the price and is there flexibility in the person? And if they don't happen to like the way that you interact with them and appreciate, you know, give them certain emotional validation in the conversation, there may be flexibility in the price, but they just don't like you and they're not going to give it to you. So, they want you to establish a connection with them in the interaction. They want you to ask them questions. They want you to give them a chance to further illustrate their position and how much it matters to them and if they like you, uh, which is you know an emotion that's involved in negotiation, then they may say, "Well, you know, let me go talk to my manager about this," which is exactly what happened in this particular interaction. My student came in with a price that was well below what they were offering for minimums. And they had a really pleasant interaction. My student used a number of uh, the tools that I teach in the class to get the, give the other person a chance to really talk about their venue and be appreciated in the conversation. Um, my student threw out an offer that was well below what they wanted. And they said, you know, thanks, thanks, uh, but no thanks. Um, let us know how you got a hold of us and, you know, keep us in mind, in mind for the future. Because the interaction was so positive, the salesperson actually called back. An hour after the call was over, and dropped the price.
0: So, did your student get the price that they originally offered, or was it something more in between?
1: Well, as it turned out, they came all the way down to my student's price. There was no splitting the difference. She threw out, she threw out one offer, and they came all the way down to it. And then, uh, unfortunately, their plans had changed in the meantime, and they decided to go with another venue. So, she actually, they didn't compromise on the price at all. They got everything that they wanted then just became concerned that they wouldn't be able to have enough people that would show up for the event, and they didn't make the deal, even though they got the, the price that was offered to them as I asked. But the, the the nice thing about it also is because the interaction was positive, You know, people don't remember things how they happened. They, re- they remember it based on the most intense moment of the interaction, and they remember how it ended. And the other thing that she was doing was I had taught her that, you know, always end on a positive note. Because that's going to be what they're thinking about the next time they call you on the phone or the next time they see you, how your last interaction ended. You know, I, My mother used to always say, uh, you know, the great phrase, if you don't make a good first impression, you won't get a chance to make a second. Well, your first impression is actually the second most important impression you have. Uh, how you leave someone, your last impression is far more important than any other moment in an in interaction. So understanding that emotional dynamic in every interaction, if you always end positively, and whenever they think about you again, they remember how they last ended with you, and they're more likely to call you again. Or if you turn them down on the last deal, they're more likely to be flexible with you when you call and want to do business again.
0: Makes sense. Your mother was a wise woman.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. I'm the son of a <laughs> uh, son of a Midwestern mom. One of the uh, one of the jokes that I tell my mother all the time is, "What's the difference between a terrorist and a, Mid- and a Midwestern mom?" You can negotiate with a terrorist.
0: <laughs> Touché. <laughs> so it sounds like soft skills are really pivotal when it comes to hard negotiations. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, you know that's 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 a great way of putting it. Um, because the harder the negotiation is, you know, the more that's at stake, the more sort of wound up people get in the process, and you, you know, you want to find out where their flexibility is without beating it out of them, because they're going to resent you if you beat them. So the, you know, the emotional intelligence skills that hostage negotiation applied to business is all about is really understanding what's driving them that you need to, you know, the negatives that you need to diffuse and the positives that you need to encourage and reinforce and increase. Because at the harder the negotiation, the more they're going to care about the outcome. And really, in any given deal, uh, the profit is never made at signing. The profit is made in implementation, which is why we always say, yes, there's nothing without how. They can say yes, but if you haven't worked out how and they don't agree to go on, uh, go through with the deal and implement, and you're going to lose all your profit. So if you've, if you've won a particularly hard negotiation, well, there's a lot of implementation that has got to uh, take place in order for you to make your profit. And they have to feel good about you as a result of that interaction, and they're just not going to implement. So the soft skills of, you know, it's not just empathy. I actually call it tactical empathy. It's understanding specifically how the emotions drive people, and what emotions you have to get out of the way so that they will implement and make your money. And that's all about the soft skills, emotional intelligence, tactical empathy.
0: So it almost sounds like you need a degree in psychology.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it sounds sort of forbidding, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds, how complicated is it? You know, what yeah. are we getting into? Here? But it's, it's really just the, the sim- simply recognizing uh, what we refer to as positive and negative emotions and how they're going to affect the deal. So you don't need a degree in psychology to understand what somebody feels good about or what makes them feel nervous or what makes them fearful or afraid or concerned. Those are really the only two things you need to start looking for and then watch their reactions and then have an understanding of how you diminish one and strengthen the other. And then, then it becomes a lot simpler. You know, for example, the reasons people won't make deals, so the stuff that make them nervous, are often more of a factor in whether or not the deal gets made and the reasons why. You know, what they're afraid of losing is a bigger deal to them than the profit that they, that they want to make. So if you're, if you're in a negotiation and all you're doing is pitching positives, well, you're ignoring the negatives, and the negatives are the obstacles that have to be cleared out of the way first. It's kind of a counterintuitive thing. Instead of me saying, here, here's what you've got to gain, you know, I need to understand what you're afraid of losing first. And if we can get rid of your fears of the, and the negatives, then the positives are going to take over and your enthusiasm for the deal is probably going to show up all on its own. It's going to be very easy.
0: Chris, I'm curious, when did you have an aha moment or or the realization come to you that there were parallels between hostage negotiating and the business world?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I I talked my way into Harvard Law School's negotiation course, negotiated my way in, if you will. I'm the only FBI, on board FBI hostage negotiator to ever go through the the class while not being a student at any of the universities up there. And... uh, You know, I was really just trying to help us get better at our kidnapping negotiation and hostage negotiation at the time and wanted to take what they knew and bring it into my world. I'd had enough interactions with them that, you know, we were always already saying a lot of the same things. But I didn't think it quite applied. So I got up there and I just started using my hostage negotiation skills on the Harvard Law School students. And I was really kind of taking them to the cleaners. You know, it was really, really male and bad in the negotiations and getting the better of them, which had an interesting dynamic because then my reputation got around very quickly. And, it, and then for several days, all my interactions, I couldn't make any deals because they got, I got such a reputation as a hard bargainer. They were scared to talk to me. I mean, they'd just sit there and stare at me and not say a word. because They were afraid I was going to talk them into something that would kill them. And so then I had to work my way out of that dynamic. And I actually started taking my hard bargaining skills out and putting much more of my soft, you know, for lack of a better term, empathy, which we now call tactical empathy. You know, the late night FM DJ voice and some other things. And uh I remember we were all the way to the end of the course. I still hadn't seen the parallels. And I asked a question in the outbrief of a negotiation on the last day because I had said things in the negotiation that I want to have repeated behind the table on the other side, it very specifically designed phrases that I wanted to have repeated intact so that they would convince each other while I wasn't in the room. And when I asked them about that and found out that that had worked, then suddenly I said to myself, you know, this is the same stuff. We just got different stakes. I'm doing exactly the same stuff in hostage negotiation that everybody else is doing in business negotiation. Yeah, you know, at the time when I thought it was this great epiphany for me personally, I went to, uh, who my instructor was at the time, Sheila Heen, who's now a very good friend and author of Difficult Conversations. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm doing the same stuff in the hostage negotiation that you guys do in business negotiation. And she looked at me with the kind of a look and was like, well, yeah, I've been waiting for you to figure that out. So. It had been obvious to her, but it took it took a couple of weeks to me to figure it out when I was going through their their
0: course. So what caused you to take the additional step of writing the book?
1: I wanted to write a book, uh, how to apply this stuff, almost from the moment that I that I left the bureau. But I wanted to be teaching it long enough that it was not me saying, like, try this and see if it works. I wanted to have taught it in different MBA programs long enough and have enough proof of concept, if you will. So I've been, I've been teaching in the MBA programs at Georgetown since 2009 and just recently started, last year started teaching at USC. And my book is just full of examples. I've collected literally hundreds of examples over the years and put the best ones in the book that show how a hostage negotiation skill worked on a Wall Street transaction or how another student who's Korean in my class in negotiating in a Korean company with his Korean supervisor uses the hostage negotiation skills to get a promotion. And not only does it work in every business, but I've got examples from business transactions around the planet. So then I'm not telling you, try host hostage skills and see if they work. Let me show you how they worked in business around the world. And when we had that from pretty much from end to end, which was about two years ago, I decided it was time to put the, put the book together.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm I'm reading through it. The book is called Never Split the Difference: Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It, and uh, it's uh, it's really it's very very compelling. It's one thing to talk about these strategies and techniques and the success. But I'm curious about how long someone should expect for the process to take. Yeah, you
1: know, that's a great question because people are always wondering about process and they're always wondering about time. You know, I, a phrase that I really like to use is this is a process where we delay to save time. So by and large, people are on a dribble wheel in their, in their negotiations where they're engaged in a lot of quick negotiations because they're under time pressure. They want to have short conversations and people end up having the same conversation over and over and over. It's a difference between activity and accomplishment or sort of like running on a gerbil wheel. Um, Most negotiations tend to break into pretty much probably three phases. You very rarely make a deal in a first interaction. Some take a few more. On rare occasions, you'll come almost to an agreement in the first interaction. But by and large, there's three phases to every negotiation. And if you make progress in each one, instead of having 15 three-minute conversations, you have two or three seven-minute conversations. You make progress each time and understand that you've moved the ball forward. You sort of pull together the parameters in one conversation while uh, establishing rapport with a person in the same first conversation. And then you start to narrow down the options, and then you come to agreement. Pretty much in a third conversation, you're going to see that most negotiations will split out into three phases. You can't get the whole way each time, but if you try to make progress each time, they'll actually be done much quicker than you realize. So the process splits into, you know, sort of a, uh, a, a what's on the table uh, and getting to understand how we can work together in the first phase. And then testing some of the ideas in the second phase. And the third phase is really coming to agreement. And then if you're thinking about it, which is critical that most people don't, uh, because they think yes is enough. Yes is not enough. You have to have how. In the third phase, you start talking about how. Then your deal will go forward instead of having seven or eight more renegotiation phases afterwards because you didn't handle the first three phases properly. And avoidance of renegotiations of renegotiation is what you're really after.
0: Fascinating. So let's talk about some of the strategies that are featured in your book. What are one or two that people can start using immediately?
1: Well, you know, one is to try to get people, instead of saying yes, to get them to say that's right. Now, there's a subtle but massively critical difference here between that's right and you're right. Because we probably love your right more than we love yes, when the other person says it. But your right is actually the kiss of death. Your right is what people tell us when they really like us, but they want us to shut up. Um, (laughs) There's no better way to get somebody to shut up than to look them in the eyes and say, You're right. And that's really bad when somebody says that to you. So you have to understand you want them to say, That's right. And it's summarizing how the other person sees things and how they feel about it. Now, this makes no sense that this works, but everyone that I teach this to is stunned at how quickly negotiations move forward in your favor when you get the other person to say that's right. There's something about it that's a confirmation from the other person that you thoroughly understand them and they like it, and that's when they want to start giving you whatever they can because they feel you've got a really solid relationship. So the, the easiest thing is, and some people can do this very quickly, very intuitively, they'll get a good feel for the difference between that's right and you're right, and they can do it very quickly. And that's, that's one of the easiest ones to make progress fast with.
0: Terrific. Terrific. One of the things you do mention in the book is this concept of the black swan. Can you explain that for me?
1: Yeah, you know, it's this great concept that's actually been around since the 16th century when they first discovered black swans in Australia. And it's become a metaphor, and it's been captured in a lot of writing, uh, which is how the little things make big differences. And generally, not just the little things, but the little things that you wouldn't expect. Um, so in a negotiation, what you're looking for is the little things that you don't expect that's going to change the entire outcome. And it's a recognition that if you're holding cards in in a negotiation, there's probably never been a time in any interaction where you're not holding cards, where you're concealing information that you're worried about the other side finding out, but you wish you could tell them because it would make things better. Well, the other side's always got that too. And those are black swans. Those are the cards that people are not displaying. Because if they threw that card on the table, it would change everything. And the only person that knows about that card is the person who's holding it. So if you approach every negotiation as if the other side is holding black swans, small pieces of information, some of which they don't even know are important because they don't know everything about you, which is one of the reasons why being good at detecting lying only saves you about half of the time. So you're looking for black swans, the small little pieces of information, if you can just coax them out of the other side, it would change everything. And knowing that they're always there, is a great way to approach the interaction and sort of a, a discovery, playful, enjoyable uh, mindset, which makes the other side want to help you discover. I and mean, then bang, suddenly you're in a new conversation and you're making deals that you didn't even imagine.
0: Are there any markers where you could find yourself in a negotiation where you're like, this isn't going to happen? And maybe it shouldn't happen because philosophically the parties are too far apart even if they agree they wouldn't be able to execute successfully have you ever had a situation like that
1: yeah you know absolutely and you don't want to make every deal um, and I, I don't try to convince people that they should make every every deal I teach people that uh, no deal is better than a bad deal and you have to understand what a bad deal is you know one one that wastes a lot of your time one that won't be implemented one where philosophically you're completely far apart from the other side, just like what you said. And so getting to know where there's no deal and leaving the other side feeling good about the interactions is a really critical skill because if you're talking to them once, you're going to talk to them again. Everybody has people in their environment that you just can't get away from. So because you couldn't make a deal doesn't mean you still don't want to have a great relationship with them. know, I believe that people who've dealt with me, even if we don't make a deal, if somebody says what what was chris voss like how did your negotiation go with him you know i want people to say well you know what i didn't make a deal with him but i was he treated me with respect and i actually like him and i you know if i had the opportunity i'd try to do business with him again you know that's that's about always leaving the other side feeling positive about the interaction we we can we cannot make a deal and we don't have to yell at each other we don't have to call each other names we can still have regard for each other so that you will tell people that I'm a decent human being to deal with. So that, that, that's one of the important aspects. So how do you test that? I've got one of my clients, actually, that every single every single interaction he has, when the other side takes a position, he uses what I taught him. as the mirroring skill. He mirrors it, which is to repeat the last three words of what they just said or the one to three critical words of what they just said. And he does that in every position they take. And it's kind of a Jedi mind trick. The mirror always causes the other person to expand on what they just said and and elaborate on that thought process with different words. And whenever he mirrors a position, he can tell whether or not that position is solid or whether or not it's got softness in it. And if it's an unacceptable position and it's solid, then he knows that they're not going to be able to make a deal. And so at that point in time, he now knows, having tested that position, that he can't accept. My job now is to conclude this interaction as quickly as I can, as positively as I can, so that I don't waste any more time on this deal, but they don't badmouth me after the interaction.
0: Awesome. Clearly, Chris, your, your negotiation techniques and strategies, I can see they've had a profound impact on those who learn them and know how to apply them successfully. I'm just curious, though, w- would you share with us one of the people who've, or, or books or resources that has influenced you who've been pivotal in your life and career development?
1: Yeah, you know, there's, there's really two that have had a huge in, impact on me. And, and I mentioned Sheila before before. Her book, Difficult Conversations, is a phenomenal book. I mean, there's, there's great depth to it. It's a great book for understanding how to navigate difficult conversations. It's a great title. She's also got a book out now called Thanks for the Feedback, which is a great follow-up. But, but Sheila, and anything that she's written, comes from a, uh, um, uh, an approach to other people of, you know, unconditional positive regard, if you will. She's a good person. She doesn't want to cut anybody's throat. She's, you know, she, any, any of the uh, negotiators or sharp-type businessmen who now, I saw one on a uh, cover of a magazine really, uh, recently that said something like it's good to be evil. You know, I, I don't understand that approach to philosophy. I don't believe in killing your counterparts. That that leaves you with nobody to do business with. But Sheila definitely has an approach of uh, positive regard and let's make this work out. And then the other one that had a big impact on me as I was transitioning from hostage to business negotiation, Jim Camp's book "Start with No." I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of that book. And there's some eye-opening ideas in there. I think I think Jim Camp nails the uh, he calls them interrogative questions. But they're basically open-ended questions. And he's got a phenomenal chapter on, uh, on interrogative, open-ended questions there that, that I occasionally I go back to that chapter and review it. So those two books start with knowing Difficult Conversations are both great books.
0: Thank you. I, I'm going to have to check that one out. I haven't seen that one. So I, we're, we're time is coming to an end here. And I'm wondering if you had any parting thoughts for our listeners, Chris.
1: Yeah, you know, um, the one thing I really want to do with my book is to uh, help good people get more out of life, you know, to use negotiation to have a better life and a more rewarding life, to be more successful, you know, to negotiate a better job package so that you have a better career, to, to get along better with the, the people in your family so that. Because you have a better rec- career, you can afford better vacations, you can take your family places and really, really enjoy life that much more. I mean, I want good people to get more out of life, and, and I want them to do it with negotiation. Not not be afraid of it, like to fear conflict, but to understand that embracing the whole process creates better outcomes and that you'll be happier and, and, and live a more rewarding life. That's what I'm after.
0: Now, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, learn more about you and your company, where would they go?
1: Company website is uh, www.blackswanltd. That's all one word, and black like the color, swan like the bird, LTD like limited, blackswanltd.com. My Twitter account is at uh, Voss Negotiation. I'm on LinkedIn, and we've got a Facebook page, Black Swan LTD on Facebook. We put as much content out there as we can, and the website really uh, blackswanltd.com is the best place where we've got everything collected together. You can you can find out about the book. You can you can order the book. We've got a few. We've got some free things. We've got a free uh, twice a month newsletter. You know, we we want people to get better, and we want to find out as many ways as we can to help them.
0: I'm so glad to have had you here on the show. Because Business Confidential Now is all about helping people learn those little nooks and crannies that they might not otherwise learn except through the School of Hard Knocks. So having experts such as yourself share what they've learned is just a shortcut to success because we want them to be more successful too. And uh, in case you didn't have a chance to write down all those those links, not to worry, come on over to businessconfidentialradio.com. Because with Chris's show page, we're going to have all those links, the information on how to get in touch with him, and, of course, a link to Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. Love that title, Chris. So delighted to have had you here on the show today. Thank you so much for your insights, your time, and your wisdom.
1: Hannah, you're awesome. Thank you for having me on.
0: Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, brought to you by Business M-O-L-L-C. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website, again, is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential Now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.